morning everyone. Uh, to give this Dharma talk a title, The Tragedy of Seeking Fame. Um, the theme we've had the last few Tuesday nights is about looking at that reading we do, The Cocoon of Pain, and um, the different strategies that we often get involved in to, in Joko's words, to worship the God of Pleasantness. <coughs> what goes with the territory is avoiding the demon of unpleasantness, the pain. And um, a Buddhist teaching which you've heard me refer to quite, some, quite a few times, which I think is such a great teaching, um, but to refresh your memories, is the eight worldly winds, four, four opposites to get that go together as pairs. Um, pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and obscurity. Mm-hmm. So when we're worshipping the God of pleasantness, we're going for the pleasure, the gain, the praise and the fame. Here's some of the, the few ways that we do it. And we're trying to avoid its opposite. And it's just basic Buddhist psychology, as much as we're driven, um, caught up in that dynamic, the more we will suffer. The less we're driven by it, um, natural joy seems to come into our life and appreciation of life. Um, many years ago, maybe going back about the 80s, there was a, a great book with a great title. It's a, it's a very good Dharma book too, to read as a recommended book. Um, came out, written by Ayakima, who was a, um, uh, a Buddhist nun um, who came to Australia. I think she was American, she was German, Jewish in background. And um, I think she came from a, a wealthy family because she was actually the person who um, bought the land, which is now what Buddha Dharma um, up, up um, in the Hawkesbury River. And um, she wrote a book called Being Nobody, Going Nowhere. <laughs> and uh, Ayakima and I, um, we know each other very well, but we were friendly to each other. And in the many times years ago that I was invited to go to the Buddhist summer school in Melbourne, she would often be there. And at the beginning there would be all of the people giving workshops and talks would be lined up on a panel and each would give a brief talk about what they were going to do and there was an audience would ask questions. And it was put on by the Tibetan Buddhists. And I, Akima and I used to sort of seek each other out as mischievous children together at the end of the table. And the Tibetans used to drone on for ages, <laughs> each of them, you know, going for a long time. And she used to turn to me and say to me while it was going on, God, they drone on, don't they? You know, it's like, the more you talk, the more important you are. And everyone could hear it, what she was saying. <laughs> she was quite feisty. And she used to cut through the bullshit quite well. Anyway, she was a great person. And, uh, but that was the title of her book. It's a great title. Being Nobody, Going Nowhere. And um, if only she could be alive today to see how much... Um, her, uh, her wisdom has not been followed by the general population <laughs> um, and how much more and more as time has gone on with the rise of the internet is that our, our cultures are so celebrity driven 
Right? All we hear about is celebrities, and everyone wants to know about the celebrities, and they follow their lives rather than their own neighbours' lives, you know, more important. And so they're great friends, because we want to be like them. Um, this, this sort of drive for fame, you know, and, and, and importance is uh, becoming more and more part of our culture. So it's not necessarily we may have the desire to be famous on television or on the newspapers, you know, but we may be driven to be famous within our own profession or our own art form or famous in our own Facebook world, Facebook world you know, or our own Instagram world. We're all, we're all touched by it to some degree. And um, just recently I saw um, a new film that came out which is about the life of um, Emily Dickinson um, who was considered to be one of the greatest 19th century American poets. And it's a film called A Quiet Passion. And um, Emily Dickinson only had about, she wrote thousands of poems, um, but she only had about 11 poems published in her lifetime because she actually um, didn't actually want the fame. She enjoyed the anonymity. And it wasn't until, like Vincent van Gogh, that after she died, you know, she became famous as a, a great poet. And um, I'd like to read you two of the poems which follow in the spirit of Ayakima. The first one is called, I'm Nobody, Who Are You? I'm nobody, who are you? Are you nobody too? Then that's a pair of us. Don't tell, they'd advertise, you know. How dreary to be somebody. How public, like a frog. To tell one's name the live-long June to an admiring bog. <laughs> and another one is fame is a fickle food. Fame is a fickle food upon a shifting plate whose table once a guest but not the second time is set, whose crumbs the crows inspect and with ironic core flat pasta to the farmer's corn Men eat of it and die. Fame, that is. Um, because I fail, um, a few stories around famous salespersons. Um, remember Jessica Watson, who was the youngest person to youngest woman, youngest person to sail around the world, quite an accomplishment. And if you've done solo sailing like I have up and down the coast of Australia, um, you get a sense of what an enormous achievement something like that was for a young woman to sail around the world solo. Um, it's quite an accomplishment. Not, not only the skill involved in it, but the actual courage in, involved in doing it. But I remember when she came back, and um, and they were interviewing her, and then they interviewed other young women as part of the the news item. And they asked this young young teenage woman, girl, um, you know, does Jessica Jessica Watson inspire you in your life to do anything? And the and the young woman said, Yeah, I'd like to sail around the world so I could be be famous just like her. <laughs> uh -huh. 
And it was, it was kind of funny but sad to hear that response, you know, that the idea of doing this is to become famous. But if you realised what was involved in something like that, the motivation of being fame is not something that could motivate you to do something like that. It would have to be, it would be better, it would be the love of doing it, you know, and the determination to do it. Um, would actually, and the 100% commitment to doing it is what we get that gets you there. And if the idea of it was to become famous, um, sort of shows the whole naivety of it, or the whole idea of trying to live a fulfilling, contented life if the outcome is the thing that you're searching for, even when the outcome is enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Mm-hmm. whether it's sailing around the world or not. And on sailing matters, there was a famous race they used to have, the first um, the first uh, solo round the world race. And there was a particular yachtsman, um, Bernard Morticia, who'd written some wonderful um, spiritual books on sailing. And uh, as they were going around the world, they were all dropping out, and he was going to be the winner, clearly the winner, going up the Atlantic to, to um, England. And uh, all the press was there waiting on the docks and the television cameras and the helicopters and everything. And as he got up closer to England and he realised what was going to happen, he went, <laughs> and he turned his boat around and he sailed halfway back around the world to Hawaii to an obscure bay <laughs> where no one knew him and enjoyed his anonymity, right? Because he kind of knew what was, what was in store, you know, to do, get all this attention and become famous. That's not what he did it for. Um, you can see where this is heading in terms of meditation practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, the point of doing Dharma practice, as I said, if you, if you have your mind set on the outcome all the time, whichever way, whatever words you use to describe that outcome, oh, I want to become more peaceful or happy or enlightened or clearer, fine, that, that we, we all do it because we realise there's some kind of um, process if we commit to it, you know, we'll, we'll grow in that direction. Um, but it's the manner in which we do it. And the problem with meditation practice, as with these other pursuits like becoming, you know, artwork or, or being an actor or sailing or whatever it might be, um, un- unless you actually commit yourself 100% to the process and forget about being attached to the outcome, you won't grow within it. Mm-hmm. You won't grow within it. That, that's the challenge of it. You're just so, you're so um, burnt up, in a sense, within the process. There's nothing left over. And I remember, when I was thinking about this, I remember a, a metaphor that Joko used years ago, which is not, um, so politically correct now in the sense of climate change, but it's a good metaphor. But she said growing up as a child with the heating, they had black coal and brown coal. And black coal was the best coal because it burned so brightly 
and it burnt itself up completely so there was no kind of fumes and smoke left over. Whereas brown coal, it doesn't burn brightly and there's all these fumes and smoke left over, you know, and it pollutes more. So she was using the metaphor that, you know, to practice meditation and to live your life in the, in the, in the broader sense of practice is to be like black coal. Like you burn yourself up completely, 100% committed to whatever it is you're doing so there's nothing left over. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than our, living our lives like brown coal, it's kind of like it doesn't glow quite so strongly. There's all this messiness left around it. Mm-hmm. And at the point of giving yourself over to life and giving yourself over to, to meditation practice, See, unless we do that, if we're, if we're focused on the pleasurable outcome or the praise or the fame or the renown or whatever in whatever we're doing in our life, the problem is that it ends up with us being divided. You know, and, and so we're never really present in the experience of what we're doing and so it's never really fulfilling. Over the years I've been doing counselling, um, I've come across a number of people who have been, mm, I suppose you call them minor celebrities on television who are actors or writers and so on, and, and people who've been um, aspiring to be famous in whatever area of expertise they're involved in. And, and some people who have been successful in their lives, um, I'm thinking of one person in particular, um, extremely modest, like extremely modest. Um, there's no, there's no look at me, arrogance whatsoever about this person, and uh, she's just dedicated to her um, profession of act- acting, and so she gives herself to it a hundred percent. And yet, some fame came, but it's not what she was essentially doing it for. On the other hand, I've seen, I've seen a number of people who, um, in, in the arts in particular, have a certain talent and they want to become famous and they haven't become famous and, and they, they live despairing lives. It's like my, my life is never really going to be worth anything until I get this reward. Mm-hmm. And they go through years and years and years of despair. And, and emptiness, you know, because they're driven by the outcome rather than emerging themselves in the process. But we do, there, there is this drive um, more and more in our culture towards um, fame, celebrity, being the best, etc. And it's important, as I've said in other talks, that to see them as a kind of a counterculture is that it's seeing through the suffering that causes and not, not getting drawn into the slipstream of it just because everyone else is doing it. A lot of us are kind of like, a lot of our cultures, like, we're like lemmings, you know, it's like we're, we're all running towards the cliff face, you know, with the promise that if we jump over the cliff we'll all be famous. Mm-hmm. We're not. Mm-hmm. And alternatively, you know, um, you can enjoy anonymity. It's wonderful to have anonymity. And in anim- anonymity, instead of being like the lemmings, you can in, you can see the blue sky, you can see the 
the flowers along the side of the road instead of running towards something which is actually not going to make you happy at all. We use another Buddhist metaphor which I love. Do you know the hungry ghost metaphor? Do you know the sort of this creature in a desert that sees an oasis up the front and, and goes towards it to quench their thirst and as soon as they get there they realise it's a mirage. And then they see another oasis over there and they charge towards that one. You know, it's a mirage. They're never, they're never fulfilled. If we're striving towards the reward rather than being the experience ourselves, we're like a hungry ghost that's never fulfilled. But to end with, to give you another poem by Emily Dickinson, which gives you a sense of what actually does turn around in our life and the joy that can come out of our life when we actually give up being attached to outcome is embodied in this poem. It's called I Taste a Liquor Never Brewed. I taste a liquor never brewed from tankards scooped in pearl. Not all the Frankfurt berries yield such an alcohol. Inebriate of air am I, and debauchee of dew, reeling through endless summer days from inns of molten blue. When landlords turn the drunken bee out of the foxglove's door, when butterflies renounce their drams, I shall but drink them all. Till seraphs swing their snowy hats and saints to windows run to see the little tippler leaning against the sun. A beautiful expression of joy. Okay, thank you.